Hey people, today is uh, Friday, uh, June 5th, 2020 of course, um, I decided I might start doing these things on Fridays, um, and then of course some impromptu episodes if something big happens, um, kind of a la what I did on, was it Tuesday, when uh, in, in reaction to uh, what happened in DC, but um, I wanted to take this episode kind of really just to... Uh, to talk about the 2020 election, um, and, uh, just some crazy fucking shit, um, but I do think that we all could use some pretext on this entire election process, um, on this entire election year, or season, I guess, which really started back in 2019, uh, when a bunch of candidates started saying that they were going to run. So the first, first people you saw were, uh, you know, some no names, and then I think the first big name to say I'm running, I believe it was Elizabeth Warren, um, and a bunch followed. Uh, Kamala Harris endorsed, and she started, and she had the, I mean, according to what I read, from uh, from people who are experts on on how to start a political campaign, they were saying that Kamala Harris's uh, commence campaign commencement speech. The way she did it was the best of anyone, and she had this nice momentum from the beginning. Um, then there were some other names, you know. Oh, and then, of course, the big name to be announced in April was uh, Vice President Joe Biden, um, and he became the early favorite, heavy favorite. You know, your former vice president, former vice president, uh, when seeking the nomination. I can't think of. I can only think of one time in modern history where that that former vice president did not secure the nomination. And that was uh, Dan Van Quayle in 2020. The nomination went to um, Dan Van Quayle was the vice president under George H. W. Bush. The nomination went to uh, his son George W. Bush, who of course became president for eight years. Anyway, so Joe Biden's the heavy favorite early on. We're in like April, and pretty much everybody that's running has announced now. Beto O'Rourke, Julian Castro. You know, uh, a bunch of governors that you probably don't know. Um, and, of course, the big names, you know, as I said, Biden, uh, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, uh, Cory Booker. Um, although his campaign barely received any attention until it was too late. Um, so you have this first debate in June. And the first night was kind of boring. The only thing that was surprised, that was out there was I was surprised that Bill de Blasio had a good debate because Bill de Blasio is a bumbling and and, and I mean this purely in a political sense in this moment uh, he's a bumbling fool when it comes to politics usually I thought he was going to get creamed at the debate on all the issues happening to New York City he maybe even won the debate and still most polls had him at 0% nationally <laughs> Anyway, day two of the debate was really where all the drama was at. Uh, Joe Biden was on that night. Uh, Kamala Harris was on that night. Eric Swalwell was on that night. Julian Castro, some other names. Uh, one big moment, I believe it was Julian Castro, called out Joe Biden for his, for his friendship and uh, some kind words he had for uh, noted segregationists, uh, form, uh, now passed away, uh, former Senators Trent Lott and Strom Thurmond. Um, and the fact that Biden originally opposed federal busing. Uh, 
Biden didn't necessarily say that busing was wrong. He didn't out front say that. He said that the federal government shouldn't do that. I disagree with him on that. I want to make that clear. I just want to give the full context of Biden's uh, position, uh, just so we all know. Um, so anyway, you have the June... So you have the June debate. Um, anyway, so Castro calls out Biden. Um, and then Biden tries to defend himself. Doesn't do a very good job. Uh, he, it took him completely by surprise. And what took him by even more surprise is, his, is uh, a good friend of his, Senator Kamala Harris, then said, you know, Joe, when I heard you say those words, it bothered me. I, you know, there was once a little girl who you know, was the second in her class to be, was the second class in her school to be bused, and uh, she was, she faced racism from her neighbors uh, who didn't want to play with her, because, whose parents wouldn't let them play with her because she's, she was black, her father was black, um, and that little girl was me, and that was a big moment for her. You know, I said it in a very passive way, but the way she said it, it was very powerful, it shot her up to the, towards the top. It shot Biden down from the large front runner to one of the front runners. Um, you know, there was once polls that were showing Warren in first. Oh, and the more, right, Warren shot up in, as, as a, as, as, uh, in the process. So Warren ends up in first. In many polls, it was Warren, in, in a couple polls, it was Warren in first, Harris in second, then Biden, or then Sanders. It was all just a, a mush. So Elizabeth Warren's now the front runner. The problem with that is she's not a very good debater. Um, and the entire debate, people kept saying, you know, she talking about, I have a plan for this, I have a plan for that. And everybody kept saying, yeah, but how are you going to pay for it? And she would just kind of uh, deflect. I'm not, this is not a criticism of her as a senator. This is a criticism of her performance uh, in that debate. And that really kicked her down back to uh, back down to like third or fourth place in the polls. Kamala Harris at the same time shot down in the polls because basically uh, her campaign was trash. At the end of the day, uh, they did not, and and I supported her. You know, I have a Harris pin. I endorsed her. Um, like a week after she announced, I I was big. I've been a big fan of hers for for years, but she did not run a good campaign. There was not enough uh, outreach. She did not. There was too much, and, and there was too much drama in her campaign. That that's all the media was covering. So the media wasn't talking about Kamala Harris's Medicare for All plan or Kamala Harris's you know uh, criminal justice reform plan, you know. They were focusing on the drama, and I, you know, that's what sells. You know, people want to tune in and hear about uh, Washington drama more than they do about policy. That that's the sad truth about about America and about human nature. Um, so that really killed her. Uh, so we get to the Iowa caucus, and there's pretty much a few candidates. Now I know. Andrew Yang had a significant campaign. He got some steam, but let's face it, the guy never had a shot. So I'm not really covering him right now. Uh, he didn't have a shot this year. Um, you get to the Iowa caucus. Uh, 
in a surprise, Pete Buttigieg wins. Um, Bernie Sanders says that he won, which is a lie because he did not win. Uh, he got 12 delegates. Buttigieg got 14. That's uh, math shows that Buttigieg won the Iowa primary. So I don't know what Bernie was talking about, but he still had momentum. Biden was suspected was expected to have a solid performance, um, and he came in like fourth place. I think Warren came in third. He came in fourth, and Klobuchar came in fifth. And that pretty much knocked out everybody other than those five. Klobuchar, of course, the senator from the state of, of uh, Minnesota. Then you get to uh, the New Hampshire primary. Again, another state with a lot of white people voting. Very few black people live in that state. Um, even less in Iowa, actually. Uh, Sanders comes in first. Buttigieg comes in second. Klobuchar comes in third. And Warren and Biden are way back in fourth and fifth, respectively. And all of a sudden, they're saying Biden's done. I, I said right then and there, wait, wait. Because I said, eventually, when the black voters start voting, when you see states where there's large amounts of black voters, um, it could easily pick up Biden, and then people could get excited because it's kind of like a comeback kid story, alike to the what happened with Bill Clinton in 1992 and 1996. Um, but people don't listen to me because I'm just a screaming teenager. So anyway, we move on to the Nevada caucus, which does have a substantial population of people of color, but most of them are Latinx, so it's still not black voters, which was always going to be an important demographic for Biden and something that really even you know all the other candidates struggle with. Bernie comes in first by a mile, uh, Biden in second. Buttigieg is in third, uh, gets like two delegates, um, a very, very, very far away from Biden and Sanders. Uh, and then I think uh, Warren in fourth, and Klobuchar really just stunk it up. So after all the momentum that Klobuchar may have gotten from New Hampshire, she blew it all the way in Nevada. And um, so then we go to South Carolina. That state is majority, the, the Democratic, the Democrats that live in South Carolina are majority black. And they went big time for Joe Biden. He won every single county in South Carolina. And people were saying, oh, I don't know. He might win it, but he's got to win it by, he can't win it by 2%. Biden won it by like 20 something, 30%, something crazy. He kicked everybody's ass. Bernie was a distant second. Um, I think Steyer came in third, which was weird. Tom Steyer, the hedge fund manager. Uh, that guy was, you know, whatever. That was bizarre. That was just weird. So after that, uh, Steyer drops out. Uh, we're two days before. That, that night, Steyer drops out. We're two days before the Super Tuesday, where 13 states are going to vote. Um, and things, and Bloomberg is on the ballot for the first time in those two polls. By the way, Bloomberg had just made his, his, la- his first couple debate performances in the previous weeks where Elizabeth Warren, yes, that same Elizabeth Warren that isn't a great debater, kicked his ass. She destroyed him. Um, and, and, and on things that he deserved to be destroyed on, uh, stop and frisk, redlining, and uh, sexual harassment complaints filed against him. Anyway, so we're heading to Super Tuesday, and people are saying, oh, well, Bloomberg might steal a lot of the Biden delegates, and that could give Sanders this huge lead. So Klobuchar and Buttigieg drop out like clockwork. Um, and pretty much you're down to Bloomberg, Biden, Sanders, 
Gabbard, who's Tulsi Gabbard, who's like never had a shot either, um, and Warren. So those six, if I named them all, was it six or was it? It should be five. Five. Sorry. Um, and on that night, uh, Bernie Sanders won four states: California, Utah, his home state of Vermont, and Colorado. He won Colorado by a slim mar- by a very slim margin. Um, and though he won California. There were a lot of delegates to be handed out, so a bunch of people got big-time delegates from there, including uh, Biden and Warren. Biden ended up coming away with, I think, nine states or ten states, whatever, the rest of them. You know, he won Texas, uh, I think Alabama that night, North Carolina, very key state for the Democrats this year, Virginia, um, you know, just a lot of states and bigger states, I would argue, than Sanders. Sanders only won, and Texas, he won Texas. Uh, Sanders, the only big state Sanders won was was California. The, and all of a sudden, Warren and Bloomberg realize there's no path. Bloomberg drops out and endorses Biden. Warren drops out and decides not to endorse anyone. So here we are, two-man race for the Democratic nomination. Biden, Sanders. Uh, the next week, there's six primaries. Um, and Sanders wins in... And, of course, Gabbard's still there, but nobody cares. Uh, but Sanders wins in... North Dakota, and he wins in, or was that it? Did he win in another state? All I know is Biden won the important, Biden won the big key state of Michigan. He won in Washington. He won Missouri. He won Mississippi. And he won Idaho. Right, that's five. Um, And uh, Bernie just won the North Dakota caucus. So that really killed Bernie's momentum. The next week, you got another three primaries, three huge states as far as size and delegates. Florida, Illinois, Arizona. Biden, big wins in Florida, Illinois. Also has a pretty solid win in Arizona. So Gabbard drops out. Who cares? Then the coronavirus happened. A bunch of primaries got pushed off. But there's still the primary in Wisconsin that happens in in April. Biden kicks Bernie's butt in Wisconsin. Bernie drops out. Biden's the presumptive nominee. And, uh, you know, Biden didn't ha- doesn't have enough to get to officially have clinched the nomination by now. But he's pretty close to it. You know, uh, since then, he's gotten almost every single delegate that's been awarded since because Bernie's just not running. He suspended his campaign. You can still vote for Bernie, um, but... He's not going to be the nominee. He already dropped out, and he doesn't have a shot at the nomination. Um, but yesterday, or no, not no uh, Tuesday, what am I saying? Was the June 2nd primaries. A lot of states voted more than originally were supposed to because a lot of states pushed it to June 2nd from the original date because of the coronavirus. And, um, of course, Biden won every state because, again, he's the only one that's still campaigning. Um, and Biden put himself... I think 60 delegates away from officially clinching the nomination. And uh, next week is the Georgia primary. There's 105 delegates up for grabs. Joe Biden's going to get at least 90-something. That'll be enough. He will clinch the nomination by next Tuesday, barring, like, all of a sudden ballot tamp, like, massive, massive ballot tampering. Uh, my point is Joe Biden will be the nominee. And now the race is on with, well, who's Joe Biden going to pick for vice president? 
Uh, I'll, I'm sorry, he's running me. We'll get to that. Um, now I want to go on the Republican side. There were two people. There were three people who really challenged Donald Trump this year. Uh, former Governor Bill Weld from Massachusetts in the Republican uh, primary. Uh, Bill Weld, um, Joe Walsh, a former congressman, and Mark Sanford, a former congressman, and I believe a former governor of South Carolina. Um, Sanford had a sex scandal that knocked him off. Walsh had some. Walsh just nobody knew who the hell he was, and he said and he had said a couple weird things in the past, and that kind of just took away his chance of really getting any momentum. Uh, so that left uh, Bill Weld, and he just you know I think he got one delegate so far in this entire process. So he stopped campaigning once uh, Trump clinched the Republican threshold for uh, nomination. So it seems Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. At least that's what we thought until about a week ago. Uh, about well, this this week, here is something that is absolutely shocking. Um. Well, in the wake of Donald Trump using military forces to attack peaceful protesters for a photo op where he bastardized uh, one of the holiest books in the Christian faith, the most popular faith, I would add, in these great United States. Uh, a bunch of military leaders said this is disgusting this is wrong the united you know he's not acting like a president the united states the Amer- american people have to unite without their president uh it started you know general mattis who served in trump's cabinet as the secretary of defense um john kelly echoed his criticism uh he was trump's chief of staff mind your chief of staffs are loyal usually you have to do a lot to get a chief of staff to lash out at you um that, that's Donald Trump. Um, you know, it's funny. The man called neo-Nazis very fine people. He uh, bragged about sexually assaulting women. He extorted a, tried to extort a foreign ally. He may have even colluded with one of our greatest enemies for, to, to get elected in the first place. He hasn't released his tax returns. Yet what 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 is yet it's finally this is the straw that broke the camel's back? You had like fucking twenty opportunities to do this. Whatever. We're here. And the big big news yesterday was Republican Senator Lisa Murkowski. She has a history, by the way, of every once in a while she will dissent. I like her more than Susan Collins, I'll get to that in a second. Uh she said Mattis's criticism was accurate. She agreed with it. And here's the big part. She's having trouble. She's struggling to support Donald Trump's re-election campaign. Struggling. That's not, you know, an independent saying that or a Democrat. That's a Republican senator saying that. This almost never happens. The last time that a party started slipping away from its leader, from its president, will you, uh, was uh, Richard Nixon in the 1970s after Watergate. And we all know how it ended up for old Tricky Dick. Although he did get pardoned. So maybe there's a, a light at the end of the tunnel for Trump in that respect. Um, so Murkowski goes, boom. No more, you know, I, I'm struggling to support Trump. Trump lashes out at her. He goes nuts. She opposed Judge Kavanaugh's nomination. She blocked this. She blocked that. 
She's a terrible senator. I'm fielding opponents for her in in her re-election, in her next re-election campaign, which is in two or four years. I'm not sure, but she's not up for election this year. She said, I don't care if you are good, okay, or bad, as long as you have a pulse. I've done so much more for the people of Alaska. I just warn you, Donald Trump, I wouldn't lash out at Senator Lisa Murkowski. Hell hath no fury like a woman who ran a successful write-in campaign for U.S. Senate. Yeah, that's right. Lisa Murkowski lost the Republican nomination one year and had to run, had to, instead of running as a, as an, as a, under some third party ticket, she decided to run a write-in campaign and she won. This woman is incredible at politics. To pull that off takes a lot of campaigning, a lot of guts, and to do it as an incumbent is arguably harder. Um, although you do have the pulpit of, of the U.S. Senate. Um, so I would just, I, would, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't exactly uh, lash out at Lisa Murkowski if I were you, Donald Trump. Then there's Susan Collins. She's the other senator who's at times criticized the president, Susan Collins. I hate Susan Collins because she has had opportunities to be a leader, but she always sides with Trump anyway. So she's just a fucking hypocrite. She says the right things, then she goes, and then her actions are completely opposite of what she says. She is just, I just can't stand her. Trump supporters can't stand her because she always dissent, she, because she criticizes Trump. Democrats can't stand her because she never actually does anything that matters um, to dissent from him. She's probably going to lose her re-election race. We'll see what she says. But I'll give you an example. Um, she voted... She, she said that what... She said, I think Donald Trump learned his lesson. She criticized what Trump did with, with Ukraine, but she wouldn't vote to convict him. She said, I think he learned his lesson on the law. Well, Susan, look what's going on right now. Anyway, I'm distracting from the election race. So... Seems like Donald Trump's going to be the nominee, but here's a possibility that's starting to grow. There is a chance that Republicans will abandon ship on Donald Trump, and there could be a very a strong movement to draft somebody else as the Republican nominee for president in 2020. It won't be Bill Weld, um, but I guarantee you that there are Republican forces who, who are concerned about Donald Trump's reelection prospects, especially in the wake of this and are now scouting potential replacement nominees. Now, technically, the rules of the Republican convention, as well as the Democratic convention, is if you reach a certain threshold, you are guaranteed the nominee, nomination. But the thing is, at the convention, you can change the rules. So it is possible that when they bang the gavel in at the Republican National Convention in 2020, which is expected to be in Charlotte, but now Trump is bitching about that, so who knows where it's going to be. It is possible that they're going to change the rules and say, okay, the delegates can now pick whoever they want, or 50% of the delegates can defect. And if they can get some of the Trump delegates to deflect to some other candidate, not Ted Cruz, but maybe I'm start, you should start paying attention to governors. Governors are becoming more popular these days because of how they respond to the coronavirus in contrast President Trump. Look at people like Mike DeWine, the governor of Ohio, who has, who's gotten a lot of props from Democrats and Republicans for his response to the coronavirus, Republican governor of Ohio, 
has like 78% approval right now. That's, and his approval for the coronavirus response, I think, is higher than that. Um, then there's the governor of Maryland, Larry Hogan. He's kind of more of one of those uh, social liberal fiscal conservatives. He has dissented from Trump in the past. He did consider running for president, um, challenging Trump. Uh, he did internal polling, which, in, which even in his own state, Trump won 60 to 30%. So he's like, all right, there's no, I'm going to have no shot. It doesn't help me. It's only going to make the Republican Party mad at me. And then maybe I'm going ha- to have to deal with a challenger of my own for renomination. Now, man, mind you, he is in a very blue state, Maryland. Um, but he's popular there. Uh, but how, so how did a Republican get elected there? Well, basically a Bernie lover, a kind of some pretty much, you know, a, you know, a, a total Bernie crowd, if you will. Ben Jealous was the Democratic nominee and people in Maryland were like, oh my God, the, the taxes are going to go way up based off of the policies that he was proposing and he's too liberal and it's scaring me. So they decided, okay, I'm not going to vote for Trump, but I'm also not going to vote for this Ben Jealous guy. And that's his actual name. So instead, Larry Hogan wins. So I know I didn't have to go into depth on that race, but that is a guy that you should pay attention to as well. He might be a replacement attempt at a nominee. Then there is the obvious choice that would require a big dissent in something that, would, that has never come close to happening in history. What if Mike Pence is drafted as the nominee instead? You need the vice president to break from the president. That has literally never happened in modern political history, not even close. Now, maybe in, you know, in the beginning, uh, candidates who came in second in elections would become vice president. So there was a history of split tickets and things like that. You know, Lincoln and Johnson were, uh, that was one ticket in 1864. They were very different. Um, which ended up backfiring for the Republican Party because Lincoln got shot and that made Johnson president back when the Republican Party stood for liberty, justice, and an end to racism. Well, the good old days, I guess you could say. Anyway, um, but in modern politics, the vice president is usually, you know, usually stands by the president pretty much all the time. Mike Pence has an opportunity to become a nominee. You know, he could have... He could have waited four years. He could have had to wait eight years. He could have had to wait, you know, or, or he may have never even had a chance. Now he is going, he's got a, a solid shot if he can break from Trump. What I do definitely suspect is there is definitely a movement going on right now to remove Trump as the nominee. I'm not saying, I don't think it's going to be successful. I think there's an over 85% chance that Donald Trump will be the nominee. But I also think there's a 100% chance that there are Republicans going around right now scouting potential replacements. I think it's kind of the difference of the Dick Cheney forces of the Republican Party versus the Donald Trump forces of the Republican Party. And, um, you know, this election has become so much more about Joe Biden and Donald Trump now. You know, it's funny. I saw all of those Republicans that were saying, there's a big divide in the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party's going to end. They split up. You know, meanwhile, everybody that ran for president on the Democratic line has endorsed 
the same candidate, Joe Biden, while the Republican Party is now like breaking up. I, I can't help but love watching every minute of this. Um, it's already 28 minutes in. Um, but So that's kind of where things are right now. I'm tired. Um, Remember that the election is on November 3rd. Please vote. I'm going to address third-party candidates for a second. So this is Howie Hawkins guy running as the the Green Party candidate. And some Bernie voters are going to go for him. Okay, whatever, sure. I mean, that does the same as not voting. Uh, You might as well leave it blank because Howie Hawkins isn't going to win a single state, let alone enough to make a difference. Uh, the Libertarian Party is the other really significant third party. A congressman, Justin Amash, a few months ago, made a big announcement and said, I'm funding, starting an exploratory committee. I'm going to run for president under the Libertarian uh, and trying to get the Libertarian nomination. You know, it, which is so stupid because you are not going to, you're not going to, as long as the Electoral College exists, the third party candidate's never going to win. Um, anyway. He ran and basically Republicans said, no, you're going to hurt Donald Trump. And Democrats said, no, you're going to help Donald Trump. And nobody, everybody viewed him as a spoiler and nothing more except for maybe a few independents and libertarians sprinkled in there. Um, he was a, you know, he famously was, he was a famous, uh, you know, Tea Party congressman uh, and, you know, Republican, of course. And then after the Trump Ukraine call, left the party. Um, and voted for impeachment. He was the only mem- Republican, form- at least, he was the only person that was a member of the Republican Party that would vote for impeachment. Um, and so, yeah, so he he, uh, he broke in dissent and then proceeded to uh, to become a libertarian and then tried to run for president. And everybody made fun of him for it because he had no shot and we were only worried that he might spoil the true winner. Yeah, I'm back. I had to stop for a second. Uh, actually, regarding my absentee ballot that I'm waiting for in the mail. Um, you, if you're wondering, I am going to vote for Joe Biden. Um, it doesn't really matter um, because he's going to clinch the nomination by then. I might have voted for Kamala Harris if she were on the ballot only because it doesn't matter because Joe Biden will have 1,991 delegates um, which is different from saying you know I'm not saying you know I'm not saying you should write in a New York because New York is going to go blue I'm just saying I was doing that because literally he would have officially won that's the difference between you know when you assume that that New York is going to go blue. The election hasn't happened. So if everybody thinks like that, then it's not necessarily going to go blue. Anyway, we are in a tough moment right now. Uh, the country is, 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 is mourning. It's mourning George Floyd. It's mourning so many black lives lost at the hands of law enforcement. It's morning. All the lives we lost to the coronavirus pandemic. It's 
it's in pain. And, um, you know, I think that, that what we need right now is uh, to come together. And the president's not going to help us do that. He's made that very clear. He has only screamed law and order and authorized the use of military force against, or, or called for the use of military force against peaceful protesters. So we're going to have to come together without him. And that's sad, but it's true. You know, I hate George W. Bush as far as what he was as a president. Um, and, um, you know, but when the 9-11 attacks happened, which is another scary, um, frightening, and painful time for Americans, and really everyone around the world, was 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 scared too. Um, you know, George Bush did go to Ground Zero and spoke to the first responders and firefighters and 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 people who were there in FEMA. Uh, and that did bring a sense of uh, unified response against terror. Now, what he did after that was absolutely ridiculous somehow turning it into a phony war with a nation that was not even involved with the attack Iraq and um how he handled Katrina was unforgivable and um unpresidential but um in that moment when we were all scared seeing Americans killed he was able, he at, he at least, you know, he may be, maybe, you know, the way he responded when it first happened was, was pathetic. You know, there's the whole story with the, with the book being read, but at least he, he did stand on that rubble and say, we're going, to, we're going to rise above this, you know, and Giuliani said the same thing and, and, uh, it was just a good thing for Americans to hear from, and New Yorkers to hear from, from their, uh, political leaders. Uh, Donald Trump hasn't done that. You know, you can support Donald Trump all you want. You cannot make the claim that Donald Trump has has responded to this well. It's just frankly invalid. Um, you know, he did not talk about uh, how we're going to come together. He's not talked about unity. He's not talked about um, his support for, you know, he's not talked about his uh, his anger about police, you know, about all the anger at police brutality. He's complained a lot about looting and rioting. Um, and, I, and I'm not saying he didn't support the investigation to Chauvin, because he did. But that's not enough. That's one thing that helps in this one case, but the entire country is mourning. We're not all protesting because just one man died at the hands of law enforcement. It's happened so many times that I've become numb to it myself. When I saw George Floyd get killed, my reaction wasn't, oh, no. It was, oh, here we go again. And that's terrible. Police brutality, racist police brutality, has become completely normalized. And I'm not saying I wasn't disgusted at what I saw happen. I'm just saying I wasn't surprised. Because I've seen this kind of thing happen over and over and over again. The only thing that surprised me was the American people... uh, coming together 
black and white and Latinx and and Asian and you know gay and straight and 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 you know uh, all gender identities, people just standing together and saying no more. And yes, there were some people who were hijacking the moment and were were, were using this moment to steal stuff. And maybe break some shit because they thought that was cool. And those people, they're not. They're just. They're a problem. But. Um, that they don't take away from the millions of Americans, well, maybe not, hundreds of thousands of Americans protesting peacefully and saying, we can't, we're not going to take this anymore. We're done with this. And Donald Trump is just allowing himself to, you know, I just, I don't, (sighs) this is what happens when you live in a democracy and the person who gets elected, uh, you know, acts in, in similar ways to totalitarian dictators. In other countries, you don't hear about this because dissenters are afraid that they might get killed. In America, we have elections. Thank God, as a safeguard of our democracy. But that democracy is put in danger when you see things like this. By the way, all these cops shooting rubber bullets at people, you're not shooting it right. Rubber bullets are supposed to be shot at the ground so that it hits somebody in the leg. Basically, it's like getting kicked in the leg. That's what it's supposed to feel like. It's basically saying, get out of the way, move, move, move. Instead, they're... They are hitting people and the, you know, they are shooting them right at people's backs, at people's necks, at people's hips, causing hematomas and, and bruises. And, you know, frankly, if somebody gets shot in the head with a rubber bullet, it could definitely kill them, certainly from a close distance. And tear gas doesn't kill people, usually, you know, it doesn't kill people, but it's definitely not good for people who might have coronavirus and don't know it yet. It's definitely not good for people with pre-existing lung conditions. You know, you want, you know, you need to disperse a a riot. I get it sometimes when they use tear gas. When you see what was going on in Atlanta when people were destroying the CNN headquarters. Now, mind you, CNN has nothing to do, you know. CNN is not the police. Actually, they've covered... um, They've covered the protests, and they've covered police brutality, and they've had people on to talk about the pains that black people feel. Of course, black people doing that. Um, You know. And then... Then Drew Brees and, and Laura Ingram Manis. I know that this has nothing to do with the election, really, but I'm addressing it because it needs to be addressed. A couple of years ago, Laura, uh, LeBron was talking about politics. I can't remember if he was talking about the, you know, the election or if he was talking about police brutality. Laura Ingram said to LeBron, shut up and dribble. Drew Brees, football player, of course, in my opinion, the greatest quarterback of all time, said one of the stupidest fucking stupid shit recently, um, against people who peacefully protest and kneel um, in football games. And um, he got criticized for it. 
And Laura Ingram's response was, well, he's a right to an opinion as an American. So LeBron, who I might mention is black, has to shut up and dribble. But Drew Brees has a right to his own opinion. I think she's a tacit to me. To me, I, I I can't stand Laura Ingram. She's just she's a fucking. She's a, she has tacitly endorsed white supremacy. She is. You know. She's probably the worst person on Fox. I don't want to. You know, I'm annoyed that I've already spent two minutes talking about that stupid woman. Um. But I think we should end with some good news. Um. It's hard to find it in times like this. But I would argue that seeing these military officials and seeing senators of his own party stand against the president's misactions, that put a smile on my face. Not just because I want Donald Trump to lose this election. Because it reminded me that there is still hope for our country. There's still hope for our democracy. Um, and I don't like John Kelly. I think he's xenophobic. Um, I think he said, I think he's, he's, he's a hawk. Way too hawkish for my liking. But, you know, him taking this stand is a big deal. Mattis taking the stand is a big deal. So I am, you know... This is a big moment. And um, what I've also seen is uh, all of these peaceful protests. We saw uh, something going on in D.C. last night. People, had, people were holding their phones with the lights on like the, you know, during, at night like they hold candles and, you know, at a concert. Or like they hold like people hold at a concert now. And, um, and somebody was singing... Uh, lean on me, and then all of a sudden, everybody there started singing it with her. You know, you call those thugs, you call those looters, you want to shoot those people. You know, I kept hearing people say, "What Colin Kaepernick did was un-American." No, what Donald Trump has done is un-American. Punishing peaceful protesters with rubber bullets and tear gas. You know. Endorsing. Not condemning white supremacy. Um, That's un-American. Because here in America we have this ideal. That you're allowed to peacefully protest. And petition for redress of grievances. So much so that it was the first amendment to our great constitution. And yet Donald Trump doesn't seem to give a shit. Um, Now he's trying to start a plan to quarter troops. You know, I have to say, I knew Donald Trump didn't care about the constitution. I never thought he would violate the third amendment. I just didn't think he was going to find a way to figure out how to do so. I didn't think he was like capable of coming up with such a weird plan. I didn't think that any that we'd ever have an issue with the third amendment again in America because 
quartering soldiers almost never happens. But you're not allowed to quarter troops. Uh, that's the Third Amendment. It's pretty clearly written. No quartering of troops are allowed. Um, at this point, I wonder if his bucket list as president is just to try and violate all 27 amendments. Well, technically 25 because... One was already repealed, and the other one repeal and, and another one repealed it. Um, so <laughs> it's fucked up what we're seeing. But you know, and when Donald Trump leaves office, whether it's in two thousand twenty one, two thousand twenty five, or somewhere in between, um, or maybe even two thousand twenty, who the hell knows anymore? Um, Racism is still going to exist. Police brutality is still going to exist. There will still be some attacks on our democracy. But at least we are loud and proud standing against it. When our leader does not support it. Um, I'm going to wrap things up. I know I said we are going to finish off with some good news and I just got distracted. Uh, it's hard. It's just so hard to find some good news right now. Um, you know, we're all hurting so much. And we're all just... Even, even the people who are, who are not responding to this well, I feel you. I know. It hurts to, to say what the truth is right now. The truth hurts. It hurts to say that we have a systemic problem. So they've chosen the easy way out and saying it's not an issue. But I know that they are mourning too. I know. And and not all of of these people are bad, but they're doing but by by not addressing this issue, they are harming. A poll came out just now in Texas, which used to be one of the reddest states. I shit you not. Trump 48%, Biden 48%. If Donald Trump loses Texas, and granted, I remind you uh, that there might not be a Donald Trump on the ticket. Um, But I'm looking right now at a map. Uh, Let's say that Joe Biden wins every Hillary state, which everybody expects him to, Um, except for maybe New Hampshire. Just hold on for a second. Let's turn Texas blue for a second. That alone makes Biden president. So had Hillary won Texas and everything else stayed the same, she would have won. So now if Biden wins everything Hillary won, which again, really only New Hampshire is in danger, if he wins Texas, it's over. That's ignoring the fact that Arizona has become bluer, that Pennsylvania has become bluer, that Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio. I mean, I'm looking at this and this is the worst case scenario for Trump that I'm looking at. Well, this isn't even the worst case scenario. This is a very distinct possibility if he is the nominee. If he even is the nominee, there's a distinct possibility that he ends up with just 147 uh, electoral points. 391 to 147. That's a fucking blowout. That's not to mention that South Carolina starting to descend from him. Georgia, Tennessee, um, even Iowa looks like it's in play now. And that would turn us to what? 433 to 105. Trump is in big trouble. 
And I think that if if the Republicans turn against Trump, it's not to say that, okay, now we want Mike Pence or, or Mike DeWine or whoever the hell they pick be, to be president. It's to say, I give up on this election. We want to, we want to you know, save our, our party for the long term. Um, let's see if I can find some. I'm trying to find some, some good news here. Uh, God, it's so hard right now. Ugh. I can't find anything. Oh, yes. Okay, here's some good news. Unemployment dropped to 13.3% uh, in May as things started to reopen. Now we hope, of course, that the rate of coronavirus shoots down. Um, but this is great news. Um, Americans are getting their jobs back or they're getting new ones, hopefully better ones. Um, it doesn't mean that you know, Donald Trump's going to have a strong economy by November. I highly doubt he will. But it is nice to see that some Americans are going back to work. And I, before I get distracted by another one of Donald Trump's controversies, let's leave it at that. Amen to Americans going back to work. Thank you. Also, real quick, I just want to talk about the... I just want to credit the song that I used. Uh, uh, the one that may now be my new theme song is The Only Living Boy in New York for by uh, uh, Simon and Garfunkel. That'll be my intro, I think, all the time. Uh, and, I ending, and I'm ending this time, because we're talking about the election, with Chicago's Vote For Me. Good night.